Today concludes our conversation with photojournalist and documentary producer Spike Johnson. To hear more about how to become a well-rounded freelance photographer, be sure to listen to the previous two episodes before you listen to this one. In this episode, Spike offers some insights on different methods of pricing your work. He gives an overview of things to look for when handling contracts, and he shares the raw purpose behind his work. Let's talk about pricing and um, contracts. Um, pricing is something that I have, uh, I personally have issues with. I'm personally developing, just now developing, um, um, just, you know, how to figure out my pricing as a photographer, um, what I want to be hired for, what my day rate should be, and all of these just very complex things that <laughs> you have to figure out, you know, the, the, the dirty way. Um, it's also an issue that I have a lot of photographers, um, a lot of peers um, who are very much, very well at the beginning of their creative career. Um, it's something that I have a lot of um, people reach out to and say, I would love to hear more about this um, pricing. So, um, maybe you can walk me through the beginnings of your free, freelance career um, as um, a photographer and um, a documentary filmmaker, if you will, a producer. Um, how did you sort of stumble into um, pricing your work as a freelancer? And then how is that um, operating today? How, how have you like really honed and sharpened your structure, you know, what your work is worth, what your time is worth, and just all the things that come with that. Yeah, that's well, that's a well-structured question. Um, when I began, <clears throat> it was trial and error. It, it, do you know what? It is still trial and error, and I think it always will be. Um, but it was total trial and error back then. So, um, you know, we spoke earlier and I said that that, that first piece with vice magazine i took whatever they were willing to give me that was 10 10 years ago right at the beginning mm. of my career and they what did i give them i wrote them a 2000 word article and with i think they maybe published 10 or 15 images as well so it was a nice three or four pages in a magazine and for that, I got $1,000. That was probably one or two months work. Jesus. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. So way underpaid. Now, Wait, now I, I'm going to interrupt you for a second. Um, yeah. Way underpaid at the time. What would you say was the standard at the time for that kind of work? I don't know. Or what do you think that work should have been worth? Probably should have been two or three. Okay. I just want to have like a sort of um, kind of a, a reference point. Yeah, probably two. Uh, now I would ask, now I'd ask between three and five, depending yeah. on the outlet. Yeah. Whether or not I'd get that or not, I don't know. Um, actually, there is one other point that, that we just touched on there in terms of uh, value. When you're pitching in, in your package, if you can come with, not just photographs, if you can offer um, some text as well, or like a, maybe a little small article, 
um, at the same time, you can get paid double. So, you know, what, what, what I did in what I learned from that experience with vice is I don't write anymore because the, perhaps the, I find the process a little frustrating, but back then I would say, well, look, I've written this article and I have these 20 photographs. Um, now I need to be paid for, for both, you know, I need to be paid my X for this and X for this. And then, uh, equally, if you can put together a, a, a two, three, four, five minute video, the same is true. I, I don't photograph and video at the same time because I, you know, it's too much to do. Yeah. But if you can video and also maybe write an article, and it's it's diversifying to to try and find a, a larger payout. Mm-hmm. Really, um, I got myself off topic, but that's a, that's a huge point. Yeah. That's a huge. The more you can do, the more the more value you'll hold, and the more people will. Um, you know, take a look at your work. Yeah, that seems to be the the case nowadays. Um, the more you can do with regards to photography, um, video, um, writing, even digital uh, media work, the more you can like show that you're capable of, the more useful um, you can be. And then the more you're able to get paid for the work that you're willing to contribute. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. And today when I pitch stuff or when I'm offered an assignment, my daily rate very rarely matches up with that budget, as we said before, or the amount that I want from a personal project never really it matches up. So normally, normally what happens is we top out on their budget. Right. And I'd like to be paid more as everybody would, but we top on their budget. And so I've learned over time to make a point of, um, when they tell me their budget, well, I try and it's a, it's a, it's a negotiation. I try and get them to go first. Tell me what their budget is. I see. And then I say, wow, that's low. Cause it always is. <laughs> and then I make a point of telling them what my expected rate is. And then we meet in the middle. I see. Very, very nice about it. Real nice. And, but I also make the point that, I know that their business is tough. So if they can't afford my daily rate or they can't even afford to meet in the middle, yeah. then I, I would still like to work with them and, and we'll figure it out. But I'll let, I let them knock me down. I see. Yeah. For assignments, for, for assignments, the, it breaks down to a much better hourly rate because I charge a daily, I try and hit a daily rate of, for video, I try and hit a thousand a day. Mm-hmm. Uh, and normally I can get 800 a day. Yeah. Which is fine for photos between, between 500 and 800 a day. I should ask, um, how do you come up with these rates? I've been listening to, um, this, uh, very resourceful, um, guy who is, uh, at the helm of, this education company called The Future. Um, Chris Doe, um, his name is, um, is someone who has been like given a lot of guidance in terms of like how to set your prices, uh, you know, how to sort of structure your day rates and um, um, your hourly rates and all these different things um, to match the kind of, uh, to match the kind of not only the lifestyle that you want to be 
live in to continue, you know, you want to always be able to do the business that you're in. So how do you price um, your day rates to make sure that you can handle more work that comes in? Uh, Is there like a a method to how you've managed to develop um, how much is the minimum you'll take for a day's job? And Am I making sense? Yeah, there isn't. There isn't really. If I've got no work on, then I'll drop my price, or I'll accept jobs that I wouldn't otherwise accept. If it's really, really busy, then I'm putting my prices up. Um, that makes sense. Yeah. Down. Yeah. Um, and as a freelancer, it's all over the place. Christmas is dead always, mm. so I have to account for that. Um, and then, and then you know, there's there there is an equation in terms of like, you know, for example, uh, how much is it going to cost to get to that place to make that footage? Do I need a hotel? Have I got to stay there? Right. How much am I going to include? Are they paying expenses? Um, how much is my camera cost? Right, right. You know what I mean? Um, so all this, and then and then how much do you have left over? So all those factors play into it, really. But um, through trial and error, you know, your two hundred and fifty dollars a day from the New York Times isn't going to cut it. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. No way. Yeah, I mean, I, I won't. Without sounding like an idiot, I try not to take the five hundred a, a day jobs. Why is that? I just I make a loss. It, also, in terms of. Not necessarily a financial loss, but I make a, a loss in terms of energy. Yes. Because the job, t- it, after a while, it really takes it out of you. Um, there's a, there's a, um, a physical energy that takes time to replenish. There's an emotional energy that is hard to replenish mm. over time. If you're seeing weird stuff all the time and hanging out with weird people every day. Mm. Yeah, you know, especially with video, you, you're carrying so much gear, and you're doing. If if you're working alone and they don't have, have the budget to send a producer, yeah. then you know, I'll shoot for one day, and I'll need two days recovery. Wow. Yeah. You know, so so it, it, that the payment for that one day has to kind of accommodate for for some recovery yes, as well. Yes. It's, it's a grind. Yeah. I just did a story in. Uh, down on the border of Mexico about a guy who hunts exotic animals down there. So that was, that was a day driving down there, 12 hours in the car driving to find an Airbnb, to set my gear up, to get out of the, get out of bed at 5am the next day, to walk in the mountains and shoot for three days Wow! in, in, in the desert, to then get back in the car, to drive back here, to then take your cards out, upload, and I love it. It's a fantastic job. But then I needed a week off. Right, right. Does that help a little? That does. That does. Um, you, you're, you have to be able to factor in um, the physical and emotional tax that the work is going to have on you into the price in. Um, and I think that makes sense. Um, the, other way, the other way to do it is, is drop your prices and take on more volume, but try to make sure that they're, they're jobs that are not so taxing yes yeah yeah um there's a a few there's a few tips that i've picked up uh, along the way which is um 
setting your rates and i guess this is different for working with like you know um working on assignments i think it's different but either way um setting your rate in a way that kind of cushions you in a it puts you in a position where if you had to hire somebody to do the amount of work that it would take you to produce the work that you're kind of taken on. So if I'm hired, you know, as a, if you're hired as a documentary film, uh, film, if you're hired as a filmmaker to kind of uh, tell a story for, let's say three days, um, if you take that on, sure, you can price accurately um, or accordingly for that type of work, but um, you should be pricing. What I've heard is that you should be pricing basically in a way that kind of pretends that you have a producer with you, a cinematographer with you, uh, an assistant with you. Um, so you have enough money to pay these people should you decide to take them on. Um, and even if you don't have these people on, your rate should still account for those people because you're doing that work either way. So you should be getting accommodated for that work. Um, I don't know if you've um, heard of that um, type of argument. Yeah, that works. And I think also maybe just having a, a slightly longer, com thinking it, taking some time to think about what will be involved in the job you're about to undertake. Right. Well, if it is an assignment, you know, maybe even sit down, write down all the costs that you think will be associated and then taking some time to have a slightly longer conversation with the editor who you've pitched to, to because I, I've found through the years that a lot of the time they maybe haven't considered everything that's going to have to go into this mm. because they are busy. They're not in the same place as you again and they're not perhaps focusing on it as hard as you. And, and, and often when I bring these extra costs to them, they're like, oh, yeah, good point. Shit, okay, good point. We'll get you more money. Yeah. Honesty. That's great. That's really good. Um, how does that transition over into contracts? Um, we can keep it very simple because I know contracts are super <laughs> tedious and can get super um, complicated um, very fast. Um, for the very early starter to, you know, the photographer or producer or creative who is getting work, but not necessarily making this like a full-time gig. Um, how do we negotiate or not even negotiate? How do we deal with contracts? They're, they're super easy. Really? <laughs> I interact with contracts under two different instances. One where they've come to me with the project. So an assignment. Yes. Two, where I've come to them with my project, a pitch, um, and I'll cut, uh, let's do assignments first because probably that's not where you, your audience, or maybe that's, I don't know, we'll deal with assignments Partially first. some of them will be. Yeah. Uh, and it's easier as well. They, they give me, they give me the, their assignment, they give me the contract, and really I'm agreeing to any terms that they're offering because it's their, it's their project, right? So I just sign it and give it back to them. And normally it's like, you know, um, X outlet owns the rights to this work. You cannot sell it any other place. And that's really the crux of it. We're going to pay you once. You're a contractor. You're not an employee. Um, you cannot sue us. 
that's mostly it. <laughs> so, and you know, that, that's fine. So when you're working with, uh, <clears throat> when you're working with, um, uh, companies or well, companies that, um, hire you to take on an assignment, um, they're retaining the rights to the photo, to the, to the work. Yeah. Exclusively. It's not something like a, a time-based thing or, um, it's uh-uh. interesting. And this is common yeah. practice. Yeah. Interesting. Yeah. It's, I've tried to push it before and it, and it, it hasn't gone anywhere. <laughs> wow. Yeah. Okay. This is news to me. I mean, it, it might be different for other people, but uh, I've never managed to get anyone to roll over on that. Yeah. If it's, um, yeah, I don't think I have. The other instance though is, is if it's my work and I'm coming to them. I see. They are more, maybe the crossover here is a breaking news scenario when I'm already working there and they want work, that might be a, that might be a, a point for negotiation, but yeah, normally if I'm given an assignment, they're keeping the rights to everything. Mm. Yeah. And that means, you know, they share the work, um, uh, and they have, I guess, and I guess, you know, if you're, if you're signing that contract and then, then with it comes a rate that matches signing over the rights to such, an image or a series of images. Yeah. Okay. The rates are good. Okay. The rate. So it's not like yeah, a, it's, a it's worth hit. it. No, it's worth it. Yeah, yeah. It's worth it. And it's also kind of like, you know, you hire to reduce it down to, to, well, it's like you hire someone to do a job, you know, you hire someone to, to fix your car, um, you know, or you hire a, you hire, here's one better. You hire an artist to paint your picture you know, that artist can't then make a copy of that picture and sell it to somebody else. I, 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 I can see where they're going with it. Yeah, yeah. They want exclusivity. Right. So is, is, is a lot of these, um, these stipulations, um, do they limit the, the usage of such images in like, let's say portfolio or website or? No, you can do that. Okay, okay. Yeah, you can normally I make sure that I can put it on my portfolio and I can share it on social media. You just can't sell it. I see. I see. You can put it in competitions. Yeah. Um, win money on competitions like that. Right. Competitions, by the way, are a great way of finding notoriety on a personal project and then getting a and then getting it published off the back of a um competition i see but so the contract that you're uh, the contract that is that you have to be most careful about is when you have your own work and you've worked on this project for a year you give it to time magazine and they say yeah awesome we really like it we'll take it off you here's five grand um here's the contract you got to read that contract and you've got to take a red pen go through anything that says exclusive anything that says that you can't sell it anywhere else, anything that you have to keep ownership of that. Mm. It's your work. Um, and that's it really. I mean, the contract will be really boilerplate and it will be really geared towards their own interest. And they'll, this is not me being cynical. I think it's just common practice. They, they just give you their boilerplate contract to begin with. Legally, it's mostly in their interest. Um, socially, I don't think they're, trying to do you out of your own work. It's, that's just the way it works. So yeah, you have to make sure it says non-exclusive in there. 
Gotcha. Yeah. So the, the work um, rests on the photographer to know exactly what to look for when scouring through contracts and um, to make sure that their work is as guarded as possible. Absolutely. Yeah. What the contract that they give you will not be in your interest. So you have to edit it and send it back. I see. I wish I had a more knowledge uh, to kind of like push back and really toil away at the details in here, but I, sadly I don't, but maybe, you know, that will be for another conversation where, you know, I've had some experience, I've had some <laughs> hopefully good experiences only and not, well, you know, you learn with the bad experiences as well. That's that's what the purpose of trial and error. Um, yeah. But yeah. It's, it, it, the contract thing is quite, it's quite simple. Yeah. You just have to make sure that if it's not an assignment, you have ownership. Mm. Oh, and also that that they cannot resell it. So I've seen some contracts when I've sent personal work through before where there was a clause in there that allowed them to upload my photos to their Getty account. Wow. You keep making an income on my stuff through Getty. Wow. So they're trying to make... so. And again, not that they're not that they are malicious. Yes, yes. This is just perhaps um, default that you have to you have to switch the button away from default. Yeah, yeah. Ownership. Yeah. Very well said. Um, is there anything else that we? I mean, clearly we haven't touched on a lot, but given the scope that we've been um, operating within uh, these past few topics. Is there anything else that you think stands out that um, you would love to sort of uh, kind of just uh, give some sort of uh, advice or tips or, you know, some insight into that can be really resourceful and helpful for emerging photographers and, you know, just like any artist, really um, any creative. Um, yeah, here's one is a quick one. So I get this asked a lot and it's how, to transition out of a day job into a creative yes. field. And it's there's kind of an easy way to do it, although it's not particularly fast. You're going to be speaking directly to me right now because that's exactly <laughs> where I am. <laughs> and I think, well, you know, I've done it with, I did it with graphic design as well. So, so it's multi, uh, works for multiple medium. So you work your nine to five, and that's your bread and butter. Yeah. And then you just need to cut it on the weekends and on the evenings. You need to carve out enough time. Well, let me use photography as a as a as the example. So you need to find that that group of people to embed with, to become friends with, who are doing something really interesting in the world. Mm. You got to take take a load of time with them and photograph them nice and slowly. Make it really embedded. Make it really empathetic. Um make it really immersive mm. something that something that that nobody else is seeing you know and take it take advantage of the fact that um take advantage of the fact that at the moment you have financial income so you don't need to be selling these photographs you can just do it at the moment for love make it really really fucking special and take your time be patient build up this nice project yeah put it into competitions send it to some nice editors, take it to some photography uh, um, workshops, show it around, write a little paragraph mm. and start pitching it. 
and then make a sale. That's <laughs> that's the crux of it. Yeah. The, the, the crux of it is finding enough time to make that really special piece of work. Um, finding enough time, finding enough energy. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Get in, get in started to a degree of laying that foundation for the type of work you eventually want to be doing. Yeah. Yeah, you need to uh, get an Adderall prescription, <laughs> drink a hell of a lot of coffee. Right. Not, you you got to fall in love with that with that thing for six months. Yeah. Interesting. And how did you, how did you manage to pivot out of uh, graphic design into um, pursuing photography and um, filmmaking? Oh, I was a really bad graphic designer. So my boss started making me uh, take the photographs in the studio I worked at. Ah, I see. And then, um, you know, it was a design studio, so it wasn't journalistic. And then I, I got a love for, or, refound my love for the camera and um came to dallas and did a master's oh wow yeah and that basically just uh steamrolled into a full-time pursuit yeah um it yeah i started under a uh he's still my friend um photographer called thorn anderson who just as i arrived in dallas i think he'd, he'd recently come back from working as a freelancer in um in Afghanistan. So he was, you know, re re exploring America and getting to grips with teaching and getting to grips probably with all the experiences he's had, he'd have over there. And I was battling my culture shock and, mm. um, trying to impress him really. So I'm still trying to impress him. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah, man. That's awesome. Um, can you, before we actually uh, wrap up, can you tell me how you would categorize the work you're doing? Um, what anchors it? What keeps you going back to it? Um, and yeah, I think that, that that should really tie it up together. Oh, that's a big one. <laughs> um, my personal stuff is uh, not by design, but it always seems to be, seem to be drawn to uh, issues of conflict and not necessarily often military conflict, not necessarily though. It could be some sort of, probably this is the same as all journalists, some sort of social conflict, but it it does always seem to be around a a military framework. Yeah. Um, It's... uh, and I think through that, it's a fascination with mortality, and it's a, it's a, yeah, it's a, it's a fascination to seeing what happens to, to humans if they're, if they're at the edge of life, I guess. Yeah. Um, in that, in that sense, not in a medical, not in a medical sense, but in a very visceral, mm, aggressive sense, mm. I think. Also, uh, I seem to be attracted to seeing what happens to myself if I'm with those people when they're going through those things. Hmm. Uh, I haven't quite figured out why yet. I was going to ask if you've processed why that seems to be the, um, the direction that your personal work has taken. Um, with, with me, my personal work, uh, when I decided to become a photographer, uh, a documentary photographer, my personal work over time sort of shifted towards discovering um, community, uh, 
personality, identity through photographs, um, because that's where there is a lack in, or there used to be a lack in for me with regards to connecting with family, um, finding um, a sense of belonging, um, and just always being like a black sheep and not necessarily knowing where to fit in. So um, I was like very curious about how families operated, um, how people deal with, you know, the, the heartbreaks that comes with, you know, um, uh, falling outs within family frameworks, um, how people process their identities, you know, um, and just all of these things that have to deal with the human experience, you know, like learning how people function when they have a lack in, in specific aspects of their lives. So that's kind of what I want to be touching on with my work. Um, hopefully in the next few years, we'll be seeing more of that. Um, so I'm wondering, you haven't processed deeply why that is. Uh, it's the, I, th I think it's the edges. I like the edges. Mm. I like, um. What happens at a, a like a border activity? I like to see what happens on a front line. That's I like so fascinating. The edges of, you know, this life that we lead and what comes after. Yeah, that's where the rubber meets the road, isn't it? Death. What what's around the corner? I like that's, uh, you have that. Um, everything becomes real, right? There's no putting up. You know. Um, guards there's no putting up a front everything is what it is on the edges yeah yeah and watching watching humans when they're terrified as well that's real like yes being, watching myself when i'm terrified right Ooh. right learn some lessons this is so interesting it's like a very psychological um kind of like undertaken of like you're, you're sort of like teaching yourself psychology of um, human beings, uh, what it means for us to be afraid, um, what it means for us to experience death, what it means for us to really process um, just everything that comes with humanity. I mean, I, th I think the border crisis is, is one of these things that's just so arbitrary. And it's like, why does this exist? Why do we have the feelings that we have towards people who are um, migrating to America? And do we have the empathy to think deeply into why, you know, these things are happening? Um, a lot of the actions that we have, as Americans have taken, you know, on um, bordering countries and how we're kind of reaping the, <laughs> um, I, I don't know. I think it's, it's a lot of stuff that you have to engage with on a deeper level than we're seeing play out on a, a very substantial, I mean, not a substantial, on a very superficial level in media. Yeah. Oh my goodness. And so many um, uh, people use the, this information and twist this information for their own means a lot of time in the media. And I, I, I do, I am, um, you know, a little cynical of yeah. the media myself, but, but I find when, when I'm in those places, you know, in those communities who are being evicted perhaps, or the, or the, the, the place where they live for a hundred years is being mm -hmm. gentrified or it's a frontline or it's a border or it's a migration issue. <clears throat> when you're dealing with those people, um, everything's, there's a realness in terms of human mm. interaction 
they and actually this goes back to access as well they're 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 often very welcoming they don't have much of a guard up they they want to tell their story um and it's you know it makes the hairs hairs on my neck stand up and that's kind of how i know i'm i don't like it's very uncomfortable being there but i think that's how you know you're mm. in the right place it's real no no one's wearing armani suits. right there's no bravado anymore there's no no one's pretending to be something yeah. they're not anymore yeah oh that's powerful i mean i think that that is work that is worth dedicating one's life to um because you are kind of unraveling a lot of painful and visceral parts of what it means to be a human being in the 21st century i think um i think we need more of that so i can't Thank you enough for the work that you're doing. I think, um, you know, oftentimes it's it's needed to acknowledge that these works, I mean, the, the works of Nakhtwe to reveal the horrors of humanity and what we're capable of as, as human beings. I think those things as journalists, as photojournalists, um, it's a responsibility that we have to kind of allow for these atrocities to be laid bare so that way hopefully they're not repeated again in the future. But if there's anything that I've learned, we don't pay enough attention to history. So <laughs> we're doomed to repeat it all. We don't, we're, not, we're not very good at learning, no, are we? No. no. But we can try, you know, the very best we can with the, the work that we dedicate our lives to, to make sure that hopefully people will pay attention to the, the, the works. Um, and the lives yeah. of people's, um, the experiences of people's um, lives. Well, and also celebrating, you know, the the love that happens in those yes. instances as well, because it, oh, it it grows up. So, love grows through those in those circumstances. Grows up so fast. Yeah. yeah. Hopefully that that'll save us. <laughs> I hope so. <laughs> if not, if that doesn't, I don't know what will. <laughs> no. Thank you so, so much, Spike. Um, this was um, one of the best opportunities I've had on this podcast to just be able to like sit down with someone who is willing and um, passionate about like sharing all these wonderful resources um, for um, emerging photographers and creative people who are coming behind um, someone who's been embedded within the industry as much as you. So thank you so much again. Thanks, man. I, uh, I feel like we needed to be in a bar scenario, but maybe yes. in <laughs> um, that will that that will come. Hopefully, you know, one of these days, you when you're not so busy and you're in New York City, maybe that'll happen. Yeah, dude, I'll come up there. And if you uh, feel free to hit me with more questions, yeah. On, or if anyone wants to email, I don't know. I can keep answering questions in the future if people want. Absolutely, absolutely. All right, folks, that's going to do it for this little mini series. I want to thank Spike Johnson for his time. I hope you learned something. If you did, feel free to share in the review section of the podcast. We'll see you next time.